Hello and welcome to Investment Matters, a podcast brought to you by Emirates NBD. My name is Maurice Gravier. I am Chief Investment Officer for the bank. In today's episode, I will be joined by my colleagues Anita Gupta and Satyajit Singh, respectively in charge of equity and fixed income strategy. Together, we will address two simple topics. First, a quick summary of the global investment outlook for 2021, which we released in January. Second, how has it been affected by the recent developments on the virus, the policies, the global economy, and of course, by market action. Before my colleagues share their views on their respective asset classes, I will start with the big picture and asset allocation. So let's get started. Our global investment outlook for 2021 is reasonably constructive. On the positive side, we expect an extremely strong economic activity. The virus is progressively under control with the vaccines, while government responses have protected the income, which creates a material pent-up demand. More broadly, fiscal stimulus kickstarts the recovery, while monetary support will keep liquidity abundant and cheap to support the activity, but also the valuation of financial assets. This is good, but the reason why we are only reasonably constructive is that we see two mitigating factors. The first one is fundamental. Market valuations are elevated across defensive and cyclical assets. We believe that this is justified by the combination of growth and low interest rates, but still it creates vulnerability to uncertainty. The second factor is purely behavioral. Sentiment and positioning have massively shifted at the end of 2020. Investors are not scared and defensive anymore. They are now unanimously optimistic and invested. This again adds to the risk of seeing very significant episodes of volatility. So putting all that together, we have three messages for 2021. First, expect positive returns, but not as good as in 2020, when our three profiles delivered double-digit performances. Second, expect a lot of volatility, as markets will adjust to any uncertainty, with the starting point again being elevated valuation and a consensual optimism. Third, all stars are aligned for emerging markets, because we think that their secular growth drivers will support their fundamentals way beyond the post-pandemic rebound. As a result, our positioning started the year with two characteristics. First, a pro-cyclical stance. We are overweight stocks and underweight bonds. Second, significant positions in cash to seize opportunities from volatility and in gold, which is to us one of the best defensive assets for the long run. That was, and still is, what we expect for 2021. As we record today, a lot has happened. Overall, our scenario on the backdrop is unfolding. On the virus front, we see a clear inflection in the number of infections globally. After the second wave of the recent month, data from Israel or the UK show that vaccines are effective in containing the pandemic. This is key to enable the recovery. With regards to the economy, our Outlook publication was titled Investing in the Age of Magic Money because we expected the powerful combination of fiscal and monetary stimulus 
to materially boost the economy. On that front, let me be frank, we have had more than what we anticipated. President Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan was approved and has just started to be implemented, and the surprise was that the Republicans didn't reduce its amount. It is massive. At the same time, the global economy was more resilient than many had thought so far in 2021. The manufacturing sector in particular kept on delivering strong numbers, while the services are of course the next shoe to drop when we will be back to a more normal context. Consequence, from the IMF to the US Federal Reserve, all growth forecasts for 2021 have been upgraded to levels unseen in decades. Global GDP should grow by more than 6% in 2021. It is, of course, fundamentally good news. But more than good news, markets like visibility. They hate uncertainty. With the outlook for growth being materially brighter than expected, fears of higher inflation are back. The consequence has been a sharp rise in interest rates. The US 10-year Treasury yield is now at 1.7%, which is almost twice its year-end level. This affects all markets, starting, of course, with the fixed income universe, which displays negative price action so far in 2021. Stock markets are also impacted. Yes, they are up, as we expected, by around 4% so far on average across regions. But they show a massive rotation from the growth sector, such as consumer stables, healthcare or technology, to the value sectors such as energy, financials or industrials. Growth is more sensitive to interest rates as their valuation multiples are higher based on the present value of long-term cash flows. Cyclical sectors, by contrast, are cheaper and they are fully exposed to the short-term economic rebound. Elsewhere, gold, the defensive asset by nature, suffers from the risk on mood and from the competition of bonds and lags all the rest with a minus 8% performance so far. Bottom line, our scenario is unfolding, but growth is more spectacular than we thought and fears of inflation are creating stress on markets. Our take is simple. Yes, Inflation will pick up as the middle quarters of the year will be very strong, led by the US. But we see this as temporary. From employment to capacity utilizations, we are far from overheating and the global economy post-pandemic will normalize rather than entering a new era of hypergrowth. Our positioning is thus more or less unchanged we prefer to stomach the volatility of a temporary phenomenon rather than trying to time it on very turbulent markets. We know that some of our positions will probably suffer in the short term. Emerging markets are negatively affected by a stronger US dollar typically, and the appetite for gold should take time to come back. However, we are also preparing to take advantage of the potential exaggerations around the theme of inflation fears. Volatility is not a surprise, which is why we own cash. 
A disproportionate fear of inflation could affect all asset classes and we won't hesitate to put cash at work to buy the most compelling ones. This could include everything, adding to gold or even to government bonds on weakness, as well of course as stocks. At the end, when the cycle is strong, the benefits from earnings growth always prevail over the impact of higher rates on valuation. That was for the big picture. Positioning is unchanged, but we are ready to act. Now, let's move on to the asset classes. Satya, welcome to the podcast. You are the head of fixed income strategy for Emirates and BDC CIO office. And as such, your asset class is under a very unusual pressure. I will ask you the same two questions. To start with, can you give us a summary of the investment landscape and of your convictions as they were initially in our global investment outlook of January? Sure, Morris. 2020 was a great year for the fixed income investors with all the subsectors generating positive returns. Central banks supported liquidity, resulting in a massive spread completion across sub-asset classes. With improving vaccination programs and increased inflation expectations, we anticipated Treasury yields to increase and peak during Q2 before pulling back by the end of the year. Hence, at the start, we expected 2021 to be a challenging time to get decent returns amidst a steepening Treasury curve and very low spreads. More specifically, we advised clients to expect low to negative returns in the safest asset classes such as developed market government bonds and investment-grade credit. Developed market sovereign bonds were not in a position to mitigate risks in the fixed-income portfolios during market volatility due to the already low yields. Simultaneously, ultra-low spreads in the investment-grade credit left the asset class vulnerable to even slight increases in the treasury yield. Within IG credit, only financial sector subordinated bonds provided any modicum of return on investment and rising yields are typically good for the sector. Moreover, a significant fallout of the Treasury curve bear stiffening would be long-duration bonds losing value as the already low spreads cannot compress further to balance the effects of rising yields and we guided our clients to move to shorter duration instead. On the other hand, we expected the riskier segments of the asset class such as high yield and emerging market debt to provide decent opportunity to investors. In particular, we preferred Asian high yield due to its high duration adjusted spreads. Within MENA investment grade, we liked the sovereign owned entities which were trading wider to the underlying sovereign curves. As far as high yield sovereigns were considered, we liked Oman and Egypt compared to Bahrain due to their chunkier spreads and preferred to take position in the 7-12 to 12 year part of the sovereign curve to optimize the return versus duration risk. So that summarizes our outlook at the start of the year. Thank you, Satya. This is very clear. So now comes the second question. The first quarter is almost done yet. A lot has happened, especially in the interest rates front. Does it change your views or are there some opportunities waiting to be seized? I would say we were right about the direction, but the magnitude of the moves was unexpected. Our subsector views are playing out as per the scenario we had expected. We are watching history being made in the US strategy, especially in the long duration bonds. With the bull market that started in 1981 officially ending last week, 
after giving more than 4,500% return in the last 40 years without a single 20% correction. That's a big feat. By TD, 10-year Treasury yields have increased by 80 bips compared to 125 bips during the Tapper tantrum in 2013, despite repeated reassurances from Fed to look through intermittent inflation increase and updated Fed dot plot saying no rate hikes till the end of 2023, the markets remain turbulent. For us, 2% remains an interesting level for 10-year US Treasuries, and we won't hesitate to buy them at levels above that. The investment grade credits are down by 4%, which is the worst ever start to a year on record, propelled by the onslaught of yields. The low spreads do not help the asset class as well. We don't foresee a dual tantrum of widening spreads and increasing yield, which would be a toxic conclusion for this asset class. But with such volatility in yields, we won't hold our breath waiting for high returns from this asset class this year. And we still don't believe this is the correct time to increase duration exposure in the portfolios. The only positive spot within IG credit seems to be subordinated debt of financials, which have a high beta to corresponding equities and should perform well in the current rising yield environment. Within this gloom and doom scenario, high yield offers some respite to investors. It is the only asset class which is in green this year. The spreads have remained range-bound and hunt for yield continues with primary markets setting a record first quarter of bond sales. We continue to believe in our thesis that this is the best asset class for investors this year. The risks to emerging market debt has increased dramatically with increasing developed market yields. We are cognizant of that. The fund flow for this subsector in the last four weeks has been negative cumulatively. But we believe that selectivity still pays in EM debt. Our preferred asset class Asia High Yield ranks third in the league's table of YTD returns. And we continue our conviction on this sector, which provides investors with the highest yield. Within MENA, Oman, as we expected, has outperformed other sovereigns conforming our investment thesis. We still expect MENA region champion banks' subordinated debt and government-related entities' debt to provide the best opportunity for earning decent returns within the broader emerging market. I would sum it up by saying that this year is more about selectivity and alpha rather than broader beta in fixed income. Thank you, Satya. Alpha over beta is music to my ears, I must say. Now I will turn to Anita, our head of equity strategy. And if you are okay, we'll go through the exact same exercise. So could you please first remind us of your initial scenario for 2021 from our global investment outlook? Maurice, we are overweight both developed and emerging market equities, but predicate higher upside from emerging markets as valuations are lower and economic and profit growth is higher. In developed markets, we prefer the US and in emerging markets, Asia. US exceptionalism should continue with the dovish Fed and low interest rates, mammoth stimulus and soon-to-be infrastructure bill boosting consumer demand. In emerging markets, we favor Asia with its affluent middle class. Digitization is ensuring rising consumerism as goods and services can reach a larger population. The rise of local brands continues with a focus on C, the e-commerce payment leader in Singapore, digital payment Mercado Pago in Central America or Paytm in India. Domestic equity flows are increasing. Internet connectivity, easy-to-use digital trading platforms have increased accessibility to the equity markets. 
our 2021 year-end fair values for the eight major equity indices predicate 8% upside for the US and 14% for the broader emerging markets and also the GCC. The higher-than-trend valuations the markets are at are offset by high earnings growth, estimated by us at 20% for developed markets and 30% for emerging markets in 2021. We see UE equities continuing their momentum driven by the higher oil prices supporting government spend. Also, with higher dividend yields and lower valuation, UE equities are definitely attractive. Equity markets had an almost unbroken upward trajectory from last year's March sell-off till December. And in 2021, continue to make new highs, but give up a substantial part of those gains periodically. Sentiment is positive and hope on the virus receding. And since early November, that's the time of the US election, global equities have seen inflows of half a trillion dollars, a record. Global equities are up 4% year to date, still a good number with the lead shifting between emerging and developed markets. China equities began the year well, but with regulatory scrutiny around the China tech monopolies, the bats have lost about their gains. However, volatility is a norm other than an exception in markets and provides opportunities. US and tech exceptionalism over the last decade is worth mentioning, with 250 and 425% respectively. But concerns are now paramount around the resumption of global corporate profitability and valuations, especially the tech sector. We are optimistic both on economic and corporate growth with the world's two largest economies, the US and China, on a clear path to recovery. Thank you, Anita. I couldn't agree more. Recovery is good for equities. Now, markets are volatile, as you said, and rotating. Did the recent price action change your views or maybe create new risk or opportunities? Maurice, the global technology sector saw gains of over 100% over the last two years and the consumer discretionary was up 74%. However, Starting from November last year, we are seeing a rotation into cyclical recovery sectors that is energy, material and financials. As you said, Maurice, market sentiment is being driven by the vaccine rollout, service-driven businesses reopening and domestic air travel resuming. Growth has taken a backseat after a decade and value as a factor is leading performance in 2021. Rising bond yields are creating inflation concerns and also the specter of rising rates. Last year's and last decade's darlings, the high growth sectors with higher valuations, technology and consumer are flat year to date. The 10-year treasury yield is commonly used in the discount rate for future cash flows, which raises concerns on the present value of high growth companies. However, the rise in yields is not worrying as long as growth remains the primary driver. Whilst the energy sector leads equity performance in 2021, we are neutral as we see a shift to clean energy. Financial is our strongest call for the near term. Financial sector valuations are the lowest amongst all global sectors at a forward price to earnings of 12.3 times. Financials are a cyclical and value play, a beneficiary of rising yields, and banks are a barometer to economic growth. The cyclical value rotation has led to strong performance from the US banks, yet there seems to be more room there and also for European and Asian banks, which are lagging the US financials rally. After many years of being the favourite, we are neutral the tech sector, though we maintain our long-term conviction as every industry in the world, especially healthcare, take a digital route 
and data drives everything from preferences to consumption pattern monitoring. Tech valuations are high, 27 times forward price to earnings, but well supported by high teen revenue and earnings growth. And the pangs do make up 33% of global equity market cap. What technology trends do we think will provide returns in the next decade? 5G, electric vehicles, and the synergy between healthcare and technology. However, overlaying all this are environmental, social, and governance factors. Many countries aim to reach net zero emissions by 2050. We saw doubling of flows into sustainability investments last year, a trend that's only going to accelerate. To sum up, Broader emerging markets, technology and healthcare are the growth engines for the next decade overlaid with ESG factors. But in the short term, our focus is on financials, emerging market Asia and US exceptionalism. Yes, definitely. It's important not to forget the long-term convictions and no doubt we are living fascinating times. Thank you very much to both of you for this insightful conversation and I sincerely hope our audience enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, I would maybe highlight one takeaway. It's great to have a scenario and long-term conviction, but it's equally crucial to be ready to adapt to changing conditions. We believe in the combination of long-term analysis with short-term flexibility. Volatility is here to stay, but it generates opportunities for the fundamental investor. The next move in our positioning will certainly be the topic of our next podcast episode. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and invest wisely for the long term.